Thank you for joining us here today at Victory Church where we pray big prayers to a big God and we expect big results. If you have any questions or want to learn more about who we are, visit us online at victory.church or just download our Victory app. Now let's check out this week's message from our lead pastor, John Chastain. Well, thank you for being here today. We're gonna hop right back into this season called Half the Battle. We're not done with the battle just yet. Uh, My wife told me this week we were on a walk and she said, um, hey babe, you know, I love this season, it's great, but after it's over, you might ought to preach on some really happy stuff. (laughs) Like something that's just happy. Like, man, this has been a deep dive. (laughs) A lot of really tough messages stepping on toes and digging into stuff. And, you know, I didn't say it back to her. I said, sure, babe, whatever you say, you know, it's what men, fellas, just what you do, right? But what, but, I, but what I really felt prompted later as I was praying through that, I really felt like the Holy Spirit said, if you'll dig into some of these areas, you won't have to preach on joy. They'll just get joy. And so I really want us to, to continue to dig in just a little bit deeper and I pray that every week as we dive into some of this stuff and as we're, you know, exploring the recesses of our souls, that it's always coming across as loving. If, if you ever feel like I'm beating you over the head, then I'm doing it wrong, okay? And so I pray, I, pray, I really do pray that as we go through this season of half the battle and you dig into the book and you dig into the, the sermons that we've been doing, and then you take those things home and apply them to your life, that it's, it's really done tenderly that you feel the Holy Spirit doing it in a tender way. So most of the sermons that we've talked about have been talking about rejection and shame and pain from our past. And most of these things that we've been talking about have been things that other people have done to us, right? And because it was done to us, then I have a responsibility to respond in a certain way, to ask for forgiveness or to forgive people, to not build a fence, to do all these different things but most of it was predicated upon something that somebody did to us, okay? Today, I wanna, I wanna reverse the cycle, and I wanna talk to all of us, and I say us, because it's me too, I wanna talk to all of us about being mindful of what we do to others, okay? And I love this verse, these, these, these three verses that I'm gonna read for you today. We're just gonna unpack these three verses. Uh, these are such powerful words. And really, I've, I've been meditating and, and looking over these verses for quite some time. Uh, Marcy, the Edmund worship leader, uh, um, sent me this passage of scripture a long time ago. I bet it was six, eight months ago. And it really jumped out at me. And I just jotted down some notes in a, in a journal. And I've been mulling over this. And so you're about to get the results of mulling. Okay, here comes the, the mulling over this passage. Watch this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Verse 8 through 10, I'm reading out of the ESV. It says, this is Paul. He says, for even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it. Paul said, sorry, not sorry, not sorry. I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that that letter grieved you, though only for a while. In verse 9, as it is, I rejoice not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt, I love this, for you felt a godly grief. And I want you to remember those two words, a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. Verse 10 says, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. And whereas worldly grief produces death. Did you know that there is such a thing as godly grief? Godly grief. Uh, I want to tell you a phrase that I grew up hearing, and I say it all the time now. I think it's my mom's favorite phrase. is the title of my message. Good grief. Look at your neighbor and say, good grief. Let's pray today. Father, thank you so much uh, for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for what it does to us. 
so we go to that place today. The only place that can, can truly have an impact on our life is your word. And so we dig into it today. We dive into it today. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Good grief. What does that even mean? Like, I tried to research that phrase to figure out where it originated, and I couldn't even really find where that came from. Because really, when you think about this word good grief, it doesn't even really make sense, especially in the context, context in which we use it. Like, you, something bad happens. Good grief. Like, what? What is that? Can you explain that to me, what you mean by that? Like, that doesn't even make sense. So what I want to do for just a little while is I want to take these three verses, and I just want to, I want to, I'm going to preach each verse, okay? We're going to, we're going to look at verse set, we're going to look at verse eight, we're going to look at verse nine, and we're going to look at verse 10, and then we're going to go home. It's going to be great, okay? And, and watch the Cowboys lose again. I hope not. I'm just saying it's a pretty good likelihood of that. Okay. Let's read verse 8 again, and then we'll kind of unpack this. So before I can get to the meat, the meat, okay, the meat of this passage is verse 9 and verse 10, and this is where I'm going to love to camp. But before we get to verse 9 and 10, I want to, I want to unpack verse 8. Verse 8 says, for even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that that letter grieved you, though only for a while. Paul is saying, I did something that caused you to grieve. And scholars aren't 100% sure, but they believe the letter that he's referring to is 1 Corinthians. That he wrote the church of Corinth, the, the, the letter in 1 Corinthians. And then in 2 Corinthians, he's saying, look, I sent you this letter. And at first, I, was, I, felt, pretty, I felt bad that I made you grieve. But now that I think about it, I'm pretty happy that you grieved. Because it became a godly grief. And so the first thing, if you're taking notes, we can learn something from this, from verse 8. From there, from we can learn from verse 8 is we have to learn how to confront sin in others. Oof. This is a tough one. But we've become soft, y'all. We've become soft because we don't like confrontation. We don't like confrontation. Now, I want to be careful with this because I want to be sure and differentiate the difference between judging and confronting, okay? Uh, it, it says very plainly in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, it says, do not judge or you too will be judged. So God did not call us to be judge, jury, and executioner. That is not our role. But I do believe that God gives us and expects us to confront people with sin. Now I'm going to, I'm going to qualify that in just a moment. That is not a, I'm not giving you a, you know, woohoo, let's go confront some sin. You know, I'm, wait, wait till you see me in Walmart later today. No, I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about this. Okay. So let's, let's unpack this for a minute. I had this guy uh, who was such a mentor. Uh, Dr. Baker's here. He, he knows who I'm talking about. My father would know who I'm talking about. But there was this man that I got to serve under at my time when I was serving at Southwestern Christian University as a VP, and his name was Dr. Dan Beller. And he was one of the most amazing men I've ever met in my life. And when, when I got to know him, he was already up in years in his 70s, and he went to be with the Lord pretty recently, and when he was in his 80s, and, and he was the chairman of the board, and I was the vice president for advancement. So I would go out and try to raise money for the university, and I would work with him a lot in trying to raise money. And I remember so many times I would go to lunch with Dr. Beller and I would sit and I would just be a sponge and I would soak up stuff from him and I would be so encouraged and I would be so uplifted. And then I would leave and I would go back to my office and I would sit down in my office and I'd go, wait a minute, he just rebuked me. He just rebuked me. But when he was rebuking me, I felt love. And I felt joy, and I felt like he was building me up. So he was, this is, this is what we must master. We must master the ability to confront sin or confront issues without leaving that, people, that person feeling like they've been trampled to death. Okay, and there's a couple of, a couple of ways we do this. Let me, sh let me show you this passage first uh, to show you that this is part of our duty. James chapter 5, verse 19 says, My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wonder from the truth... And someone, should, that, that, and someone should bring you that person back. Watch verse 20. Remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way 
will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sin. So the real question, I, I hope you believe me and that we should confront sin and others, but it's important how we do so. So I want to give you four questions to ask yourself before you confront someone's sin, okay? The first one is this. What is my relationship with this person? Okay? What is my relationship with this person? Paul had relationship with the church of Corinth. There was, relation, there was relational equity there. Think of it as this, this, this balance, right? This equity. I've made deposits in this person before I ever make withdrawals from this person. And I must make deposits in people before I can make withdrawals from people. Because when you confront people, it requires honesty. It requires transparency. It requires vulnerability. All of which come through relationship. Okay? So ask yourself that question before I confront someone. What is my relationship with that person? The second thing you should ask yourself is, have I received a God directive? Don't confront it just because you think you should confront it. Has the Holy Spirit prompted you to go and speak to this person, to go and confront this person? Now, I'm not talking about these little piddly things, you know, you know. I'm, I'm talking about, I'm not saying somebody forgot to call you back or they forgot to follow through with something. I'm talking about some real things that you're seeing in another person. Is the Holy Spirit prompting you? Is the Holy Spirit nudging you? And are you getting those confirmations to do so? Paul was called by God to lead the church, the church of Corinth. Uh, it's a calling. It's a, it's a directive. It's a prompting of the Holy Spirit. The third thing you should ask yourself is this. Have I examined myself? Have I examined myself? Have I, I examined my own emotions? Have I examined my own problems? Because scripture is clear on this in, in Luke chapter 6, verse 41. It says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? And how can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? And this goes on to say, you hypocrite, that's strong. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. The fourth thing you should ask yourself is this. Can I deliver it with grace and truth? I think this is the most important one, okay? Because if you do it with all grace, then you're never going to get to the truth. But if you do it with only truth, they will never receive the truth because you didn't, with, didn't, didn't apply it with grace, in John 1, 14, it says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and the only son who came from the father. Here, and then it describes Jesus full of grace and truth. John chapter 1, verse 17 says, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And I think it's interesting that it, it, it names grace first. Grace is listed first. And I've tried to counsel people that were a part of this church and I would meet with them and they just felt like it was their God-given purpose on earth to confront everybody and to tell everybody what they needed to know. And usually, they were right. They were applying truth. It was truth. They just lacked the ability to lace it with grace. And this is what I think, this is the best analogy I can use, is that grace is the anesthetic administered before the surgery of truth is delivered. Because if you go into surgery without anesthetic, it can actually do more harm than the thing that's ailing you in the first place. Can you imagine like going in for a open heart surgery with no anesthetic? You will die on the table. Why? Because anesthetic is needed. It, 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 it lessens the blow. And some are all truth and no grace. And then some are all grace and no truth. We must find the balance. I love the way Chris Hodges said it. Chris Hodges said this. He said, truth without, truth without grace is mean. And grace without truth is meaningless. So we must find the balance of doing both. I love what Jude, uh, Jude chapter 1 verse 4 says. It says, for certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality. 
Isn't that, isn't that powerful? So there is, a, there is a way that you can apply too much grace or not enough truth and too much grace. I want, I want to show you how Paul did it. So Paul's referring back. Remember, Paul's referring back to the previous letter that he wrote. I wrote this letter to you. Most theologians believe it was talking about the book of 1 Corinthians. Okay, so let me show you how, how Paul laced grace with truth. This is how he started his letter in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4. Four verses in, he said, I always thank my God for you because his grace given you in Christ Jesus. He's saying grace first. Grace first. He goes on to say in verse 8, he says, he will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful and who has called you into fellowship with his son. He's saying, listen, before I ever rebuke you, before I ever challenge you, I want you to know that you're a child of God. And you, and you are full of grace. But then watch how he laces this with relationship, with a directive by God, and with grace and truth. Then he gets to chapter 3. Watch, watch, man, watch my boy Paul in chapter 3. Here comes the truth. He says, brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly. Mere infants in Christ, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. (laughs) He laced grace with truth. This is important, okay? Let's go to verse 9. Let me get to the meat of what I want to talk to you about today. Verse 9. Verse 9 says, as it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. Verse, I mean, point number two, if you're taking notes, write this down. Godly grief suffers no loss. There is no loss in grief that comes from the Father. There is loss that comes from grief from the world. But what Paul is saying is when it comes to the kind of, kind of grief that I want to bring you, the kind of sorrow that I want to bring you, there, there is no loss. Let's look at this word grief, okay? This word grief in the Greek is the Greek word lupeo, and it means to effect with sadness. I mean, it's not pulling any punches. It means to make sorrowful and to make one uneasy. There is a godly sadness, is what Paul is saying. There is a godly sorrow, and there is a godly uneasiness, Okay? And I didn't, I, didn't, I, I, I didn't expect a ton of amens going in today, so I'm cool. I'm, I'm all right. I got secure with myself before I preached this message. So I want to show you a couple of different things, okay? I want to show you, if there's, good, if there's a good grief, good grief. I can't even say that word without kind of laughing. If there is a godly grief, if there is a good grief, then it must stand to reason that there is a bad grief, right? So let me show you the, the two differences, and, and, and they're very similar, and, and, and that's why they're so hard to see the difference of. Good grief is conviction. Bad grief is shame. Okay? Shame. And, and I want to dig into this for a minute. Okay? So conviction, here's what we know first. Conviction comes from the Heavenly Father. Okay? Now watch what it says in Hebrews chapter 12. This is kind of long, but I need to read all of this. I want to read it to you in the message because I think it pops. Verse 4. It says... In this all-out match against sin. It's like we're not pulling any punches. We're fighting sin here. Okay? In this fight against sin, others have suffered far worse than you to say nothing of what Jesus went through, all that bloodshed. Now watch this. So don't feel sorry for yourself. Or have you forgotten how good parents treat children and that God regards you as his children? My dear children, don't shrug off God's discipline. But don't be crushed by it either. It's the child he loves that he disciplines. And the child he embraces, he also corrects. Now, this is so powerful, y'all. God is educating you. (laughs) That's why you must never drop out. He's treating you as a dear child. I underline this part. This trouble you're, you're in isn't punishment It's training. Isn't that good? It's saying this conviction that you're feeling, this sorrow, this sadness, this godly grief is not punishment. It's training. It's training. And how to recognize what sin is. 
It says, only irresponsible parents leave children to fend for themselves. And would you prefer an, ir- would you re- prefer an irresponsible God? We respect our own parents by tra- for training and not spoiling us, so why not embrace God's training so we can truly live? While we were children, our parents did what seemed best in, uh, to them, but God is doing what is best. You see the differentiation? He says, when we, were, when we were children, our parents did what they thought was best, but God is doing what is best. He doesn't make mistakes like we do as parents. At that time, the, at, at the time, at the time, discipline isn't much fun. And I think we could all agree with that. It always feels like it's going against the grain. Later, of course, it pays off handsomely for it's the well-trained who find themselves mature in their relationship with God. John chapter 16, I'm gonna throw tons of scripture at you today. So if you don't like the Bible, you're not gonna like the sermon, okay? John chapter 16, verse seven, it says, but in fact, it is best for you that I go away. This is God, this is Jesus speaking to the disciples about the Holy Spirit who's going to come. He says, if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin. If I ask anybody what the role of the Holy Spirit is, most people, the first thing we'll say is he's our comforter. He's our friend. He's our encourager. When Jesus describes the Holy Spirit, the first thing he says about the Holy Spirit is that he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. Good grief. Man. Let's look, at, look, look, let's look at this word convict. This word convict in the Greek, it means this. It means to convince someone of the truth, to cross-examine a witness. The Holy Spirit comes to do this to us. He comes to convince us of the truth. This tug of war that we feel within ourselves when we're feeling this godly grief, it's because the Holy Spirit is trying to convince us He's trying to turn us. He's trying to show us the truth. I'm here to tell you today that conviction is one of the greatest gifts God has ever given us. It's not fun. It's not something we like. It's not something that we want to hear sermons about. But without conviction, we are lost. We are lost. We need conviction. It is a gift from God. So if, if, if conviction is good grief, then let's talk about bad grief, shame, because they're so close. I found one theologian that wrote this. He said, both shame and conviction produce a very strong emotional reaction that can result in changed behavior. And that's why we become so confused on the difference between the two. Because both conviction and shame deals with our behavior, and both conviction and shame deals with our emotions. And so it can become very difficult to differentiate the difference between conviction and shame. And this came out of one of our, I was at one of my Let's Talk About It groups. If you've not gotten into a Let's Talk About It group, you need to. This part of the sermon was birthed out of a conversation that I was having in one of our Let's Talk About It Zoom calls. Because somebody asked the question, well, how do I know the difference between conviction and shame? Because they feel the same. They feel the same. And so I want to talk about this for just a second. Because I want to, you know, I want to I unpack this. Think about this. Peter and Judas both were convicted. They both felt conviction. Okay? They both, no, they, I'll take that back. Reverse that. They both sinned. They both denied Jesus. They both rejected Jesus. Okay? Peter felt conviction. Judas felt shame. Judas' Judas's shame led to death. Peter's conviction led to life. Okay, so we must, we must see the difference because the sin is the same, but our response is different. And the enemy is always coming to give, to give shame. Okay, let me give you some differences, okay? I'm just gonna spout these off. Conviction is behavior focused. Shame is identity focused, okay? The devil wants to come to attack your identity, not your behavior, okay? Mama Lou said to say it again, and whatever Mama Lou says, I do. Conviction is behavior-focused. Shame is identity-focused. 
Conviction says, conviction says, I did something disgusting. Shame says, I am disgusting. Okay, see the difference? Shame, shame leaves you with regret. Conviction leaves you with thankfulness. Shame leads you to covering the pain by medicating it. Shame will lead you to think that you have to do something yourself to cover the pain. I gotta medicate this. Conviction leads to Jesus removing the pain. Okay? Shame brings shame will bring guilt. That's all shame will bring. Conviction will bring hope. Okay? Shame is rejection. Conviction is acceptance. Shame is saying, I am rejected. Conviction is the Holy Spirit saying, no, 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 no. I accept you. I accept you. You are a child of God. You are my child. Shame says that because I'm flawed, I'm unacceptable. Okay? Conviction, conviction is the opposite. It says, I am accepted. Conviction says that though I am flawed, I am still cherished. Shame focuses on how I appear to other people. Conviction focuses on how I appear to God. This one's super important. Because shame is always concerned about what other people think of me. Conviction is what the Holy Spirit thinks about me. The Holy Spirit, conviction is I've sinned in my Father's eyes. Shame is what will other people say about me. Okay, so one is vertical, one is horizontal. Paul understood this, and that's why I think he's so adamant about this. You have to understand, if anybody understood shame, it was Paul. Paul used to kill Christians. Like, you talk about shame. But Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, he said, I'm forgetting what is behind, and I'm looking forward to what is ahead. And this is the other huge differentiator between shame and conviction. Shame will always cause you to look back. Conviction will always cause you to look forward. You're looking ahead. And this was what Paul's saying. I'm forgetting what is behind. I'm pressing on for what is ahead of me. Conviction will always thrust you forward. Shame will always pull you back. Shame is about your past and conviction is about your future. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. Now watch what it says about Jesus. It goes from talking about Jesus to showing us what Jesus did. Jesus, it says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. He scorned the shame. Now, what does scorn mean? Scorn in, in Greek is the Greek word kataf, kata, I'm going to say this, kataphroneo, kataphroneo, and it means to think little of, to think little of. I'm scorning. I'm thinking little of the shame. I'm thinking little of my past. I'm thinking little of my mistakes. I'm thinking little of how disgusting I am, and I'm pressing on, I'm fixing my eyes on Jesus, and I'm allowing his conviction to Push me back to the cross. The last point, verse 10. Let's go to verse 10. Verse 10 says, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Verse number three, if you're taking notes, write this down. Godly grief produces. This is good news. This is good news. It produces something. When we feel, when we experience the conviction of our Heavenly Father, what we need to know is this is not coming to stop us. It's not coming to hinder us. It's not coming to pull us back. It's actually coming to produce something. It's going to produce. It's a manufacturing plant that wants to produce something in us. It's coming to, to, to bring production. And conviction produces the most powerful thing on planet Earth repentance 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 is powerfully strong okay and we'll talk about this for just a second verse 9 we read it a moment ago but verse 9 says no I, I, I was sad Paul's saying I was sad I was kind of 
I'm always kind of feeling sorry for you. Sorry, not sorry. But then I changed my mind. I'm like, no, I'm not sorry that I wrote that letter. I'm glad I wrote that letter. Because verse 9 says, as it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into something, into repenting. And because you repented, I am joyful because I know how powerful repentance is. Mark 2, verse 17, watch, it says, when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is why Jesus came to earth. Jesus, this, this scripture says, I did not come for the, the well, I came for the sick. I came so that sinners would repent. Repent. And I don't know if you know this or not. I'm going to tell you a secret. I'm going to tell you something about yourself. You're a sinner. <laughs> Even, I don't care if you've been married 80 years. I mean married. Saved. <laughs> Same thing, right? I mean. You're a sinner. We're all sinners. Let me show you what this word repent means. Uh. Repent in the Greek means this, a change of mind. To turn from. It literally means an about face. It means polarizing. It means I'm, I was heading one way and then I literally just stopped and I turned around and I started walking the complete opposite way. I turned around. And I don't know what it is about repenting that's so hard for human beings. Um, we're seeing this firsthand parenting. Like, if you don't believe that we have a sin nature, have children. Like the first word they learn is no. You do not have to teach them the word no. You're like, say mama, say dada, say no. I didn't teach them to say no. But one thing I am trying so hard to teach my children to say is, I'm sorry. Why won't they just say it? Like, I have to threaten them to say, I'm sorry. Why? Because it's so against the grain for, for our sin nature to repent. It's just so opposite of, of how we think. And this is, this is the difficulty, guys. Too often we focus on what Christ did on the cross, and we dismiss what we must do at the cross. Because for your life, it's not enough that Jesus just died on the cross. You must repent at the cross. Repentance is such a vital part of this. If we relish in the cross, but do not repent at the cross, we risk the removal of the cross from our lives. We must repent. This is, I've always marveled at Jonah's sermon when he went to Nineveh. I'm like, this is the worst sermon ever preached on planet Earth. Repent. That's all, like, that's literally, his only sermon was repent. Repent. Or you're going to die. Oh, by the way, I mean, you're going to repent or, or everything's going to go bad for you. Why? Because repentance is one of the most powerful things on Earth for us. Romans chapter 2, verse 4 says it this way. It says, or do you not, or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience? Watch not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, this is so powerful, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath unrepentance, I want us to wrap our minds around this, unrepentance stores up wrath. It's like compounding interest. And when we live our lives with an unrepentant heart, we are, I'm not saying this, the Bible is saying this. But that's, a, that's a strong thing to say, and that's the only reason I'm saying it, because I just read it. We are storing up wrath. But let me show you what happens when we repent in Psalm 103, verse 11. It says, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, as, as so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Unrepentance stores up wrath. Repentance removes wrath. It's repentance, repentance. 
Matthew verse three, chapter three, verse eight says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. What does that say to us? It means you gotta keep doing it. In keeping with repentance. It is not a one and done. It is not a, when you were 10 years old and you, you know, went down front and got baptized and somebody prayed over you, I'm done, I guess I'm good. This says you, the way we produce fruit in our lives is by keeping with repentance, keeping a soft heart of repentance, being concerned about wronging others as much as we're concerned about others wronging us, coming with this heart to the table. I think it's, um, I'll close with this, I, I, I think it's unique and ironic that this past week was, um, was Yom Kippur. And uh, this past weekend, last, last Sunday, Monday, I believe it was, and Yom Kippur was this day where a nation's sins were atoned for, the day of atonement. And the Hebrew word for, for Kippur means a ransom, ransom. And it it's, uh, parallels with the word redeem, that I buy back. And this was the day that people would bring their, their, their sacrificial animals. And it was the lifeblood of the animal, of the sacrificial animal, was required in exchange for the lifeblood of the worshiper. It was this exchange. It was a, it was a redeem. And, and the priest would lay its hands on, on this, this animal and it would become the scapegoat. Or it would become the, the, the animal that would place the sins of the people and it would be sacrificed. Which we all know today is a picture of Jesus. Jesus was the sacrificial lamb. And what's interesting about this, this day is, is 10 days between Rosh Hashanah, which is the, the Jewish New Year, Rosh Hashanah, there's 10 days between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. There's 10 days. And those 10 days are called the days of repentance. 10 days of repentance. And there's a word for it. I'll try to pronounce it, but I'll butcher it. The Aseret Yemei Teshuvah. I butchered that. I'm just going to let you know. But it, but it was these days of repentance. And, and I love this, this idea. And I want to I just emphasize this word repentance and what a powerful word it is. And how if we're, fi- if we're trying to fight the battles of our life without repentance, without, without a repentant heart, you're fighting half the battle. It's only half the battle. We must live our lives with a heart of repentance. Repentance towards others and re- repentance towards our Heavenly Father. And the way to repentance is by allowing and asking for the Holy Spirit to convict you. Conviction. What a dirty word. What an awesome word. Conviction. Will you stand with me at our campuses today? When you came in today, you should have received an element. We're going to take communion in closing. If you did not get one at Edmond or OKC, if you will just shoot your hand up, we will be sure and have somebody bring you one. So we have a couple of hands up here. Edmond, we may have some hands up there as well. Um, I want to lead you through this, okay? And, and during this COVID season, you know, we usually do the real stuff, the good stuff. We're going to use this little styrofoam thing that we pretend is bread and some terrible, I mean, it's terrible, the juice. I'll just warn you, it tastes terrible. Uh, but maybe that's on purpose, you know? I'm pretty sure Jesus' blood and Jesus' flesh, maybe it should be a reminder of how terrible that, that was, you know? Um, so I want to lead us through this as we close today. And I'm going to lead us through repentance, okay? What a great way to end. What a great way to start our week by repentance. Pastor Wade, I'm going to read this passage, and then when I'm done, I'll pray, and you can come up and kind of finish up what I'll be doing here as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. Again, this, now think about this. This is, the, this is out of the first letter that Paul wrote them. Think about that. In 2 Corinthians, he writes the letter and he says, I, I want to refer back to the letter I wrote you. This is in that first letter. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. This is Paul. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed. He took the bread, and we had, when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you, do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant 
in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, it's not good to stop there. We can't stop there because he goes on, Paul goes on to say the most powerful part of this text in verse 27. And this is Paul getting up in the business with the truth again. Here he goes again. He says, so whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. In verse 28, he says, everyone, everyone, believers and unbelievers, everybody should examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment upon themselves. So I want to take us, I want to give us just a moment and allow us to examine our hearts. Okay. Edmund, okay. See those of you watching online, if you're watching online, go to the kitchen and get a Dorito and some chocolate milk or something. You're going to, you can do this with us. Um, so I wanna, I'm gonna pray, and I wanna pray us through this moment where we examine our hearts, okay? And again, I'm not asking you if you're saved. I'm not asking that. I'm gonna ask that in a minute. I'm gonna ask you, you Bible-thumping Christian, to examine your heart and ask the Holy Spirit to convict you. Pray a dangerous prayer. Ask the Holy Spirit, God, if there's anything in my heart, I am asking you to convict me. I'm asking you to bring things back to my remembrance, a text I sent, something I posted, something I said to somebody. I didn't even realize I was being hateful. I didn't even realize the words that were coming out of my mouth were harming someone, but the Holy Spirit convicted me of it. And so I'm gonna call that person and just make sure that I didn't hurt them. That kind of conviction, okay? So let's pray. Let's examine our hearts. Father, we come to you before you and we invite you in this moment to convict us. This is not about shame. We know you're not coming to shame us. We know you're not coming to beat us over the head. It's not about that. But we are asking the advocate, the advocate, the comforter. Keep in mind that the same one that is referred to as the comforter is the one who is the convictor. So he comes to convict us in all comfort, in all peace. So Holy Spirit, come in this moment to every person under the sound of my voice and convict us. Show us. Just show us. Show us where we need to purify our hearts. Show us where we need to circumcise our hearts and allow you to cut away some stuff that has stacked up in our hearts. Convict us, God. Convict us. Convict us. Convict our nation. God, convict our nation. Bring our nation to its knees if you have to, but convict us into repentance. Your word says that if my people call upon my name and humble themselves. So Father, we humble our hearts, we humble ourselves today, and we ask you to to forgive us. We ask you to convict us of our sins so that we may then repent of them. In Jesus' name. Pastor Wade, if you haven't already done so, you can take over at Edmund. If you're with me, I want you to try your best to crack open that top layer. It's tricky. It's tricky. Pull out this little styrofoam piece of something. It's sterile. We know that. It's sterile. Now, I want you to, I want you to do something uh, before we take it. I want you to break it. I want you to break it in half. I like to do that. Mama Lou taught me to do that. We do communion every Sunday before church, and she taught me to break my bread because the Bible says that Jesus lifted the bread and he broke it, and it was symbolic of his own body that was going to become broken for us. It was torn in two. And in just a minute, we're going we're gonna to take of the bread and we're going to drink of the cup. But before we do, um, I want to lead you through repentance. Okay? We've allowed the Holy Spirit to convict us. Let's repent. Let's repent. 
And the good thing about repenting is we don't necessarily have to fall on our face and cry and weep. And I'm so thankful it's not the Old Testament because I have to put ashes on my head and then try to get that out of my hair for the next three days. I don't, all I have to do is, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me. He is so faithful. He's so faithful. Before I do that, I want to I ask if you would bow your heads and close your eyes for just one moment. If you're here today and you are not in relationship with Jesus, okay? I'm going to lead everyone through a prayer of rep- repentance in just a moment. But if you do not have a relationship with Jesus, if, you're not, if, you're, if he is not the Lord of your life, we need to fix that first. You need to receive Jesus into your heart. Revelation chapter 3, verse 19 says it this way. It says, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. But then it says this in verse 20. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. This is an invitation from the creator of the universe who's knocking on the door of your heart saying, you of all people are the one that I'm focused on today and I want a relationship with you. And if you'll open the door of your heart and let me in, I'm gonna come in and eat with you. I'm gonna come in and live life with you. I'm gonna come in and commune with you. This is what communion is, means we're relationship, we're gathering together. So if you're here today and you say, I don't have a relationship with Jesus and I want Jesus in my life. I've tried other stuff and it didn't work. Or maybe you lived for Jesus at one point in your life and you've strayed and wavered and you want to be the prodigal son today and come back to the heavenly father. If that's you, would you shoot your hand up and say, that's me? There's nothing to be ashamed of right here, by the way. That's shame. That's the enemy trying to get you to be ashamed. There's nothing to be ashamed of. You're about to become a child of God. There's nothing to be ashamed of. Is there anybody that say, that's me? Just shoot your hand up in the air and say, that's me? You need to give your life to Jesus today? Okay. All right, well, I'm going to lead us all through a a prayer of repentance. You know what this tells me, though? We need to invite some people to church, y'all. That's not cool. We got nobody in here today that doesn't know Jesus. We need to invite some people to church, okay? Sorry for that conviction. Sorry about that. (laughs) All right. Let's pray for repentance. Come on. If the Holy Spirit brought something into your spirit a while ago when you were praying, that's what you're going after right there. X marks the spot. X marks the spot. Maybe you're a man in here and you've lusted over somebody other than your spouse. Maybe you're a woman and you've been envious of another woman and how organized her cabinets are. I don't know what women are worried about. I know what men, are, I know what men struggle with. Maybe you're a woman and you have an identity issue. You don't repent. Even that you can repent of. So, Father, whatever it is that you have placed on our heart, first and foremost, we say thank you. Thank you for conviction. May it not only come today, may it come every day. May you gingerly and, and carefully and cautiously and comfortly. God, may you continue to convict us while we drive our car, while we sit at our cubicle, while we work, while we play with our kids, while we do whatever we do on a day-to-day basis. We say, Holy Spirit, come and convict our spirit in the moment that it is happening. May us become so in tune with your spirit that your conviction is ever present with us. And now we say, Lord, we repent. We turn away from our wicked ways. Forgive us. Forgive us. Forgive us of our sins, God. Thank you that you are faithful. You are so faithful. You are so faithful. Thank you, God, that no matter how many times we turn, you are always there. You are always there. You are always there. As the prodigal son returned to his father, you run out to meet us and throw a robe of royalty around our neck and give us a signet ring. God, we thank you. We could not do this on our own. It is nothing but the grace. It is nothing but the love and mercy that comes from you. So we receive it today. We repent of our sins and we receive your forgiveness. Forgetting what is behind. Something new is springing up. Do you not perceive it? Do you not see it? We're taking our eyes off the past. Shame no longer has a hold of me. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Go ahead and take that bread. Now peel back this juice.
I'm not going to call it grape juice because you're about to find out. It don't taste like grape juice at all. Maybe it's fermented. I don't know. Maybe you I'm going to pray over this. Father, we thank you for what this represents. This represents your blood that poured out of you and dripped onto the ground, God. Nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood. The Bible says the word of our testimony, God, and your blood, your blood. It is your blood that washes us white as snow. It is your blood that gives us the ability to repent and receive forgiveness. And so, God, we are mindful of that today. We are mindful of what this represents in our hand. We thank you for it. We thank you for it, and we receive it today. God, I pray for healing in this house. May, as we have partaken of the bread and partake of the, the cup, God, may you heal bodies in this room instantaneously. May you heal joints and muscles and organs and minds and emotions. I speak against depression. I speak against a fear of suicide, a spirit of suicide. I speak against all of the terrors of night that come to harm us and all of the flaming arrows of the enemy, God. We raise up your blood as a standard against it. We thank you, God, for your blood that covers us and protects us. Once again, thank you for joining us today for this week's message at Victory Church, where we are called to equip people to live in His presence, move beyond themselves, and be transformed. The only way that can happen is through your radical generosity, your serving, and your prayers. If this ministry has impacted your life in any way, we would like to invite you to partner in giving towards this ministry. You can do that by visiting our website at victory.church give, or download our Victory Church app and select Give. Once again, thank you and God desires for us to live life to the full.